The Jedi Order began after he taught them a simple card trick. Between do or do not, he is allowed to try. He once chastised Anakin for killing the women and the children. He is the most interesting man in the galaxy. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, it is never the Order 66. Keep not listening, my friend. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Broadcast live, you're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. What's up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the first time, this is the Order 66 Podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing, and I am one of your hosts. It is Sunday, the 10th of April, 2016, and uh, we are back on the air after a understandable hiatus, considering what we'll be talking about. We were about a, a week behind, um, but we're here, and and glad to be here, and we got a great show planned, and I am also grateful to be joined by uh, the main man who is a party to the aforementioned wackiness that has us a week behind schedule, uh, my co-host, my friend, and the best damn Star Wars GM I know, GM Phil. What is up, home slice? Uh, yes, it is time to get back to the show, and un- unlike the uh, word, the uh, Gamer Nation blog, I did not take over the show and the con with the help of the 501st Legion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh, we we will talk about it. But we are we as we'll talk about in a bit. We are recovering sure. from uh, a pretty awesome convention. Our convention, as a matter of fact, um, it's actually been a pretty wild and wacky couple weeks in the Star Wars world. Truth be told, it has. It has, and, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. I am too. I am too. Well, I, 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 we got a lot to talk about tonight. So you just want to get right into some announcements, buddy? I think that'd be best. Yeah. Okay. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. And it's a time for announcements. Brohim, you wanna you wanna lay thick the featured podcast of the week on us? Absolutely. If you're not listening to D20 Radio's own Grim Dark podcast, all hail Sigmar and his glory forever. Devoted to all things role-playing in the universe of Warhammer 40K, you are totally missing out. Yeah, you are. 
Grimdark recently released episode 62, Ship Shape, a rogue trader-focused episode with discussions on the Jericho class, a review of Fallen Sons, a look at the ship and a character, and an interview with Ross uh, Watson about the new Battlefleet Gothic computer game. Great outing, so go and give it a listen. You can find that and many more great podcasts over at www.d20radio.com. I want to go a bit out of order um, on the notes here just because I think I want to get FFG news out of the way. Sure. Um, Dude, Savage Spirits. On the boat. On the boat, man. I'm on a boat. Um, That's right, boys and girls. The Force and Destiny source book for Seekers announced back in January is finally listed as on the boat and available, of course, for pre-order. So go do so. I'm just saying. Yeah. There's about a six-week turnaround, it seems, from when it goes on the boat to when it releases, so we're probably looking at a mid-to-late May release for this book. Probably. Probably. Um, also, I, dude, despite the fact that it was out at Gamer Nation Con, I didn't get the chance to play, because I was kind of busy, um, mm. Star Wars Rebellion. It's out on the shelves, man. The new board game. Have you have you yes. played this yet? I have not played it yet. I did see it played one set Gamer Nation Con. It went, unfortunately, it's really kind of rough to play it because it's, it is a flat two-person game. Yeah. Um, um, makes man. it a little difficult to try to get a bunch of people together and play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's there, and it's being played. It's a hundred freaking dollars, but it's one of those games that really is worth what you're paying when you look at the components. Mm-hmm. Um, you could stop a bullet with the game. Um, no kidding. It, it, it's like um, uh, it's like Armada and um, uh, Imperial Assault, where it comes in that gigantic box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it it really is a, a board game tabletop version of that uh, real time strategy, com- uh, not real time strategy, but Forex, four X computer game that uh, LucasArts made back in the day, Rebellion, where you play the Empire or you play the Rebellion. And you have planets that you fight over. You build armies and fleets and try to hide from the Empire and recruit heroes to face off against your opposition. It, it looks like crazy good fun. It looks like really good fun. And I, I'm anxious to play it. Um, it's good. But FFG has this little infographic up um, that shows the results uh, that folks across the continent are reporting in North America. Like what factions won, what side is recruited, mm. what character the most, what the secret rebel base has been, stuff like that. It's up on the FFG website. Um, at fantasyflightgames.com, and you've got to go check it out. It's pretty hip. It's pretty cool. It's pretty hip. But a lot of people have been ignoring the FFG site because they've had their eyes for the past two days, uh, three days, focused on YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because out of nowhere, um, the first, they, they call it a teaser, but that's nonsense. That was a trailer. Yeah, yeah, uh, that wasn't no teaser. That wasn't a teaser. A trailer for Rogue One was released. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh. Man, <laughs> it looks so good. I, I'm, uh, it's got a sassy heroine uh, who who really loves to rebel. I tell you what, uh, it's got Yavin the Yavin for base, a nigh dead ringer for Mon Mothma. Creepy. You can see the pictures side by side. I mean, the cheekbones, the chin, everything. It's uh, creepy. Uh, the, a, a nice, uh, nice cluster of adats terrorizing things in the tropics. So it's not stomping around in snow. Some really cool samurai rebel type dude taking out the Imperials with a staff. Donnie Yen! And frickin' Forrest Whitaker! I am so glad about that. I know! I, I, I dig Forrest Whitaker. I have always have, and, and seeing him join the Star Wars family 
oh, I can't wait to see what he brings to this show. If you're a Forrest Whitaker fan, have you ever seen a film he did? It was an indie flick, very critically acclaimed, but not very popularly loved, called Ghost Dog. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Dude. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, amazing yeah. film. I saw Ghost Dog. Ghost Dog was awesome. Actually, I was working at a blockbuster when that came out, so I absolutely saw it. Like, ooh, what's this? Um, oh, dude, it was it was great. But th- this trailer was absolutely amazing. And I hate to say this, but I got as excited, if not more, for this teaser trailer than I did for Episode 7. I'm hearing that a lot. I'm hearing that a whole lot. It's all about seeing the classics. It's the Death Star and the Devastator. Actual, you know, our stormtroopers, yeah, our rebels, yeah. our pilots, you know, and it, it's one, of, it's one of those things that you know, this, this, as it's, it's being said by everyone now, this quote unquote boots on the ground, you know, spy story of how the the first Death Star Death Star plans were obtained, and right. it just looks absolutely amazing, and I can't wait. This looks great. Absolutely fun. Cannot wait for December. Uh, we can, uh, if we have time for post show, if if we have a big show tonight, if we have time for post show, maybe we can chat about the details of the trailer more. But um, sure. pretty amazing stuff. Um, other than that, dude. So I was one of the directors, so I'm probably not the best person to talk about. <laughs> Gamer Nation Con Three Beyond Thunderdome is now complete finito as of last weekend. Uh, uh what a bittersweet parting that was mm-hmm. i i had too much fun man i'm so glad you guys added an extra day oh <laughs> uh, uh gamer nation if you if you were unable to attend gamer nation con 3 beyond thunderdome you missed out you missed out on a rollicking good time of gaming and games and shenanigans and just good good fun uh, if you were at Gamer Nation Con 3, then you got to experience all kinds of awesomeness from so many Star Wars role-playing games being run that folks were apparently saying, oh, there's too much Star Wars being played. But those people can go to hell. What was ironic is that last year, one of the big uh, suggestions we had from a lot of attendees was there wasn't enough Star Wars being played. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so this year we took steps to make sure there was a lot of Star Wars being played. And now, of course, oh, there's too much Star Wars being played. <laughs> to prove it, you can't you can't satisfy everybody. You, you can please you can please you know some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. Nope. But I still think everyone was ridiculously pleased. <laughs> I think I, I, everyone had a good time. Uh, it was it was just fun from start to finish. Everyone was cool to hang out with. Everyone was excellent to game with. There were some solid games thrown down by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, God, I just. It was great. It was a fantastic time. I think one of the highlights of the con for me was getting a chance to play, which I don't get a chance to do very often. Sure. Um, it's one of the things that, that you know, uh, it was it was a very difficult con for me because, as, as listeners of the podcast know, Dave was out. And obviously Dave's not with us tonight as a host. He's actually traveling on business. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't get mad at him because I was gone for what? A month? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was overseas for a month. Yeah. So, um. Uh, but you know, because of business travel, he was he he missed Thursday and Friday of the con. He only came in; it was there Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And um, so as a result, man, uh, you know, Wednesday prep, Thursday, Friday. I mean, I was up there to open things up at eight eight thirty, and I couldn't leave until because as the key as he and I are the only key holders to the facility, so I had to lock the doors at two two a.m. Um, long days, man. Yeah. Um, it got so bad. I mean, because because it was like Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Thursday night, Friday night, 
I got maybe four hours of sleep each night. And, and I'm an old dude, so it catches up with me now. And <laughs> Saturday night by midnight, I literally pass out. Like, I, well, the alcohol helped too, but but the alcohol plus all that tiredness. Like, I I just sat down to run a game of here's some F and D and D. Yep. And I I, I I vaguely remember getting up to go to the restroom, and I don't remember what happened next. But apparently, they found me in a chair in the hallway, passed out. They did. They did. Um, See, that makes more sense because I I. I, I... I'm like, wait a second. It's a half hour into Gamer Nation after dark, Gamer Nation Con after dark. And ha- half hour. It was midnight, buddy. Three oh, hours. That's true. That's Three true. hours in. True. True enough. True enough. I already had two games under my belt at that point. Oh, okay. excellent. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, it was it was wow. <laughs> um, but dude, it was so much fun. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, so if you're listening, you didn't get a chance to come. Obviously, we're going to be kickstarting uh, Gamer Nation Con four um, at the end of the summer like we do, um, mm-hmm. and it'll be your chance to get in on it. We will have a venue change. Um, one of the bittersweet announcements at the end was that those who've been coming for three years know and have grown to love the Dallas Games Marathon in Plano. Unfortunately, they're about to lose their lease at the end of the year, um, and they're not sure if or how they'll be able to continue uh, because they had a very good price on that lease. Yeah. Um, but so we won't be able to use that facility again, at least not in that location. So the hunt and this 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 hit us the week before the con. Yeah. So we we mourned a bit. We talked it over and decided that we we're just going to have to find another venue. We'll make it work. But Gamer Nation Con Four is appropriately going to be called Gamer Nation Con Episode Four: A New Hope. And we don't know where that hope will be yet but we have a few things already staked out we're doing a little bit of negotiation right now <laughs> awesome awesome um we will know a lot more in the next 60 days um uh with the possibility of a venue that's going to be uh maybe hopefully a lot closer to the airport which will be nice for a lot of people mm. um so this is good but keep your fingers crossed keep your fingers crossed it's good um great con great con we can talk more on post show if we have time um cool. But the you know the of course when we when we announce when when the Kickstarter starts and we announce it as well as details on the con itself that passed and, and what's forthcoming you of course want to go head out to d20radio.com you know the best gaming blog not currently frozen in carbonite and hanging over a hut buffet service mm. which continues its march of amazing fan generated content from some of the finest gaming minds in the community um, our staff writers have really just done some crazy stuff the past couple of weeks and some really amazing articles. Um, what were some highlights from this past week, man? Because we had some we had some interesting stuff. Uh, well, Thad Knup uh, treated us to a highly entertaining article on evil in your game, <laughs> with a look at accidental or otherwise evil campaigns, how to use them, how to deal with them, and what makes them a matter of perspective, or not. <laughs> uh, Chris Hunt also laid down a new Star Wars stat block inspired after watching Black Hawk Down with a space helicopter of his own, the Imperial Patrol Transport in the recurring Holonet Uplink series. It's a cool tactical airspeeder with troop drops and exfiltration that you can throw down in your game tonight. It's a great block, dude. I don't know if you've read it, but he he did he did good. Cool. Yeah, he did real good. Cuz that's a that's a role for speeders that I can always use, man. Always. And it's like it's like, you know, it's an airspeeder, you know. So it's 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 really good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, but these are really good articles, and you guys can find them and so much more daily over at d20radio.com. And while you're there, you'll also find a link 
on the like right hand side of the page to support our Patreon. If you guys are a fan of this podcast, if you're a fan of the numerous podcasts on the D20 Radio Network, a fan of the blog and what we do, head to pay our Patreon page and throw us a few bucks a month. We'd really appreciate it. We have several levels out there for uh, a pledging as well. If you want to get a little bit more for your money, we have all kinds of options. You can check them out. Um, and honestly, it it's what keeps this this network rolling. Um, it keeps the lights on. You know, we it's ironic that four years ago we did a Kickstarter to just pay the server fees for the network, right? Yeah. Um, and that overfunded by a hundred percent. So you threw a con. So we threw a con as a reward, and that turned into <laughs> Gamer Nation Con, which now we just do a Kickstarter for Gamer Nation Con. And because of Patreon, we don't even have to worry about the network and its fees anymore. We can keep the blog running and humming, and most importantly, get our contributing and special authors paid for the work that they do on the blog and the articles they write, which is extremely important. So support us. Please head to patreon.com slash d20radio. Give us a couple bucks. It'll be nice. Thank you. Thank you. And, of course, the social media plug, obligatory. Stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis. You can also follow the GMs on Twitter, at D20 Radio. Uh, We post and tweet show info and announcements regularly. Regularly. Mm -hmm. Well, now, before we get into the meat of this awesome show, I think it is time that we stop down and check in with SWRPG Adventures and the most informative 140 characters or less on the internet with SWRPG's Adventure of the Week. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. With so many rebel and imperial battles, an Outer Rim casino now lets you wager on the outcomes. But who is this given who keeps on winning big? This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! I really like that hook. That is wild that's, that's awesome can you imagine the alliance is like okay so there's this <laughs> is he a spy does he know something we don't you know and then what if it's something really crazy what if he's like what if he's like uh you know a force sensitive you know that's what i was thinking that he's, he's a dude with 4c dude and i'm telling you man, it could be really cool I, I i think that's a great that's a great uh a great hook as most of them are at swrpg adventures love love that dude love him love him love him all right, man. Um, we have a long meet tonight. We do. Uh, <laughs> you see what I did there? Um, you want to get to the meat of this show? Uh, let's get this done. Let's get this done. Okay. We got more meat today than a Brazilian steakhouse, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess we do. But do we have as many different kinds of meat as a Brazilian steakhouse is the real question. Mm, good point, good point. I don't know. 
So what are we calling tonight's uh, foray, sir? We are calling tonight's foray knee-deep in the duty. (laughs) So tonight on the Order 66 podcast, we are returning to yet another installment of one of our new Meet of the Show segments, the Senate Halls, devoted to what happens behind the curtain or behind the GM screen, as the case may be. It is our Meet of the Show segment designed for the GMs out there. Normally, this series focuses on GM trips, uh, tips and tricks, uh, the business of actually running a game and making your games memorable. But tonight's show, honestly, Phil, I think you'll agree, is not just for the GMs. Oh, definitely not. No. Definitely not. Um, It is also for the players. And I hazard that any good player using the mechanics we're discussing tonight will get as much out of this episode as any hardened GM. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we are talking about duty. No, not that kind of duty. Initially requested by community member Deslock, and then echoed by Austin Catan, Darth Pseudonym, and GM Hooley, how do you run and run with duty? What are the nuts and bolts of it? How does it actually work? And how much can you expect to accrue in a game and for what actions? What is a sustainable pace of reward and what does that reward get you? So tonight, we're going to flush away those duty misconceptions. We're going to wipe away the hard crust of duty with the soft double-quilted tissue of knowledge. We're going to wade through the ignorant sewer filled with far too much duty. We're going to step into the biggest pile of duty your shoes have ever seen. We're going to squeeze out the biggest nugget of duty this show can muster. Oh, come on. We're going to... Should should I, should I stop with the duty puns? I think so. Okay. Yeah, well, we're going to do all that tonight on your Order 66 podcast. So, <laughs> all right, man. Duty. Tell yes. me about it. Yes. All right. Let's go. Let's get over the foundation here. Uh, as many of you know who play the game, each of the game lines has a role-playing mechanism to define and guide what the universe throws at your character. In Edge of the Empire, it's a detrimental consequence to your life's circumstances called obligation. In Force and Destiny, it's an ingrained emotional and character struggle called, immorali- called morality. But in Age of Rebellion, it's a measure of what you've done for the Alliance in the form of duty. For those of you following along in your storybooks, this discussion really begins on pages 46 through 50 and pages 325 through 326 in the Age of Rebellion core rulebook. But it doesn't end there, or really ever. Not only has each career sourcebook for Age of Rebellion expanded duty, and most likely all future ones will as well, in terms of usage and types, but GMs, were we, we are free to continually find new and creative ways to use duty, and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Each PC in the alliance in the alliance has has a duty, something that they are focused on as their thing to help the alliance overthrow the empire. Now, Phil, you keep talking about that, right? You know, the duty to to the alliance, right? Yes. Now, I I, I know that the the core rules assume because that's mm-hmm. how the core books are set up that you know your your duty is to the rebel alliance as an upstanding member of the rebellion, eager yeah. eager to do your part. For the cause, but does it have to be? <laughs> Hell no. Okay. I mean, I mean, can can duty be used for other organizations out there? I mean, most certainly. As a matter of fact, in my uh, another long shot campaign, I have just that. Um, there is absolutely no reason why you cannot have duty to the Empire, the First Order, uh, either the Old Republic or the New Republic, the Resistance. Uh, after that, it does start to kind of. Not exactly stretch the imagination, but it's uh, but it does uh, get out there because you could have it to a criminal syndicate or even a corporation. Mm. 
Um, you could have it to uh, national other national entities like the Mandalorians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you really want to kind of stretch it and you're running that type of campaign, you could also honestly have it to the Jedi Order. You could. Um, okay. And highly reasonable. The point is, guys, that though the rules assume duty applies to the Rebel Alliance, there is nothing, nothing that prevents you from applying your duty to other organizations. You just got to be smart as a player or a GM and kind of adjust the text or the meaning of some of the duty types appropriately. Right. Um, but I think we do have some 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 kind of pretty concrete guidelines for what you can apply duty to. Uh, oh, yeah. In terms of, of duty working with an organization, that organization really needs to have a couple of key features, Yes. Yeah, um, it really needs to sort of have a, a military or paramilitary bent or perhaps an ar- a military arm of an operation. Okay. Um, a defined command hierarchy and bureaucratic structure, uh, money and resources that they can provide to worthy members, uh, numerous members who can learn to know PCs to be, you know, to qualify as reputation. Right, right. And a major enemy or even a handful of them that lie in direct opposition to the organization's goals, ideals, or practices. Mm, okay. You really kind of need all those things for duty to work as is, um, because it really incorporates all of that into its mechanism. It does, um, and the various duty types as well. So yeah. it, it kind of it kind of it kind of is what it is. Basically, you need an organization to support for duty as it as it's written to to matter. Yeah, this this is true. So, Phil, for players that are creating a character that uses duty, um, what what duty do they choose? How do they go about picking a duty for their character? There's two ways. You can either do the random roll, or you can choose your own. And with a little bit of a subheader, but we'll get to that. Uh, the first one being a random roll. This is one way to do it, but it can really kind of lead to some odd pairings that might be counterintuitive to your character concept. Like the soldier commando, whose duty is intelligence, or the ace pilot, whose duty is internal security. <laughs> kind of hard things for those folks to do. Yeah. Or maybe even an engineer scientist who has the combat victory as their duty. Just, you know, these, these kind of pairings just really don't click with your average character concept, nor really highlight the skill set that your character has. Yeah. I mean, they're doable, and it could make for a fun character to play. Yeah. But it would be challenging. Very, very challenging. Um. And this leads us, of course, to the second way, right? Which is to choose your own duty. Exactly. Uh, that's the most typical way, at least in our experience. Uh, folks will pick their duty awards based on where their interests lie. Uh, this allows the PC to leverage their character's strength towards success in those areas and reap the benefits of completing their duty objectives more often. Mm-hmm. Now, you uh, did a little subheader on this one, a subset of, uh, of choose your own uh, duty. Yeah. Uh, and it does, and the rules really do encourage GMs and players to make up their own types of duty if warranted. Yeah, and that's, you know, you can not only just choose your own duty, you can create your own duty. I mean, there's a huge list, you know, and there's very bigger with every book. Bigger with every book. So there's a lot to pick from, but, you know, you, you feel free to create your own duty, work with your GM. I mean, and as an example, like in one of my recent modules, um, hmm. there was a pre gen PC who worked for the, works for the Alliance as an assassin. That's what they do. Okay. Well, this PC's backstory and their motivation, they're not interested in combat victory. Uh, you know, public perception doesn't factor into it. They're not okay. there, to, you know what I mean? It's not, we have to defeat the Empire on the battlefield. It's not like that, right? Okay. Um, they're not interested in combat victory. The, the goal was kind of like the opposite 
of the personnel duty. All right. Mm. You know, personnel being, you know, securing the best and brightest troops for the alliance. This person's goal was to ensure that the empire was denied those resources. <laughs> now, this meant taking out highly valuable imperial targets or potential recruits or liberating current personnel from the empire, right? So not so much the goal of bolstering the rebellion, but hindering the empire from a personnel standpoint. Um, so as such, I created a brand new duty type for this uh, pre-gen PC, which I called counter-personnel, okay? Nice. Uh, just counter-intelligence, just counter-personnel, right? Sure, sure. Um, and it, it worked great. So, I mean, and this, this, is, this is entirely within the realm of reason. So the, the reason I'm bringing this up, guys, is one of the things we're not going to do in this episode, because it's pointless, is to go through all the duty types and talk about each one and how it can be interpreted. It's, 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 it's kind of silly. Um, there's a lot of them. You guys all have wonderful minds and wonderful eyes, most of you, and, <laughs> and can read these duty types and figure out in black and white, because it says right there exactly what these duty types mean. We're not going to go into them here. No. Um, kind of silly. But okay, so these are, these are the ways to, to get a, a duty type for your character when you're creating one. Yeah. Um, is it possible, Phil, to have uh, more than one duty? It is, it is, and I have encountered this quite a bit. Um, it is possible to have more than one, but if you go kind of rules as written, it's rare. Yeah. Uh, if you randomly roll it, you have a 3% chance of having multiple duty types, a, a die result of 97 to 100. Yeah. Um, as experienced GM, we don't normally recommend this. Uh-huh. It's, it's a, it can be a bit of a headache. <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually prevented this in every game I've ever run. Uh, meanwhile, in my campaign that I've got running right now, a 20, uh, 25% of my... No, actually, no. 33% of my PCs have two duty types. Oh, Lord. Yeah, and this is my this is a group of 12 PCs running two six-person teams. Uh, and actually, doing research for this show kind of made me step back and look at this and go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I kind of... I mean... Uh, every time I've had a PC that's been like, you know what, I want to, if they say, you know what, I want to pick two, I'm like, uh, okay, I'll let you, but it would be a lot easier for me if you could just pick one, you know, and, and if somebody said, I'm going to roll randomly because I want the, you know, I want it to be random. I'm like, okay. And they they happen to roll that 3% chance, a 4% chance. Mm. Um, I'm just like, yay, roll again. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And the reason this is, this is a, a bit of an issue or can be is... I mean, having multiple duty types really increases the odds that in any given adventure you could accomplish something that directly contributes towards your duty, right? Um, right. Th- thus increasing the odds of earning a very large duty bonus for the adventure and getting the- to the next contribution rank faster. Sure. Now, depending on how fast your GM wants to award duty or how quick she wants the group to gain commendation ranks, this could cause problems. Yes, contribution ranks. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Yes. Contribution ranks. Uh, it, it, uh, it could cause a lot of problems, yeah. Uh, besides, if the PC really wants to do this, there's actually a duty for that. It's called support, and it's yeah. in the core rulebook. Yeah. Blatantly says that you earn duty by helping others complete their duties, and that you won't earn them nearly as much, but you will earn them more often. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to chime in on this because I've had some personal experience with this in my games. Sure. The support duty. Yeah. As a best practice gamer nation, I highly recommend you do not allow more than one PC in the party to select support as a duty. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. 
besides, how do you support someone else's support duty? Exactly. Because, <laughs> I mean, realistically, if you got a bunch of munchkins, like, we're all going to pick support, and we're all just sitting here making each other feel good, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's a different kind of game. That's, right? a different, that's a different kind of game right there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I think support is a really cool duty. Um, it's just, if, you know, if, if you've got a PC taking it, put a cap on it, keep it, sure. to, one, keep it to one PC in the party, if at all possible. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, so those are some tips and pitfalls for having multiple duty types. Yeah, and you actually bring up a good point, though. Yeah. Uh, multiple types of the same duty. Uh, sorry, multiple characters who have the same duty. Yes, identical duty types within the party. This is another very not good idea. <laughs> mm. um, and we, we thus need to call it out and really recommend against it. Mm. Is it possible for multiple PCs in the same party to have the same duty? Of course. Yeah. But you should try and discourage it. Um sure. And the reason being, it, it doubles up duty rewards uh, whenever that duty is fulfilled, which means that, as we'll come to, for balance, you're going to be forced to have several sessions where no duty is advanced, or only partially advanced, just to keep the party from gaining contribution ranks every session. Okay. Um, now, what's your recommended tip for this? My, my tip is to limit identical duties to two party members. Okay. Okay. Um, and encourage them to diversify beyond that. I mean, just, I mean, I mean, and explain, it'll make for a more joyous campaign if everyone has a different duty. It just will. Right. Um, and most people can buy into that. I've never had players that not, not, are not willing to buy into that. I've had some, I've had some for character reasons that are really like, you know, no, I really want this duty. And the other goes, well, I really want this duty too. It's okay. You two can share that duty. Okay. <laughs> but, but you know, that just, just you two. <laughs> Just that, just that. So there. All right, so there's a lot of advice out there as far as selecting your duty and which one to take and mm-hmm. to double up and all that stuff. But ultimately, what happens when the duty, when your duty gets triggered? Hmm. So as a PC... Why are you doing this in the first place and what happens when? What happens with all these rules and values and stuff? Of course, of course. So you're a PC, the GM rolled your duty at the start of the session. What now? Well, there's first and foremost the basic rewards. Now, mm-hmm. the book clearly outlines the reward when a PC's duty triggers, okay? Thoughts of recent successes or perhaps a newly granted mission are going to bolster the whole party, granting them all a plus one to their wound thresholds for that session. And the triggered God. PC gets plus two, okay? That's, that can be a huge boost, man. It can. It really can. It can save your life. Um, and uh, same with obligation. Doubles apply as normal. Hence, doubling the effects. So, if you happen to, if you roll a forty-four and that triggers somebody, or a twenty-two, or a thirty-three, or whatever, then you know it's going to be plus two wound thresholds across the party and plus four for the triggering PC, and that is really hardcore. Especially when your party tank rolls that. My wound thresholds now twenty-eight. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. But those are the basic rewards, and we understand those, and we know those. Right. What's difficult or, or interesting? AKA what the GM has a hard time with <laughs> mm. is what would you call it? Fill the story reward? It, it... Pretty much. Yeah. How, how it affects the session. Uh, the rules also advise that when a triggered duty, when a duty is triggered, it could have a concrete impact on the forthcoming session narrative for that PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could mean that the actual mission of the next session revolves around this PC's duty. So if you have a duty of space superiority, then it's time for the party to get in some cockpits and kick some ass in the alliance for the alliance against a high value imperial space target. Yeah. You know, maybe if you have a duty of a resource acquisition, then the alliance has just become aware of a high tech prototype being developed and it needs to be stolen to assist the rebellion, right? 
It's my, my, my favorite combat victory one is you find an imperial base that is a, that is actually a headquarters and being used to, being used to coordinate attacks against the alliance on a particular world, and you guys get to go destroy it in a very public and and uh, propaganda level of of, of way. I keep thinking of there was a recent episode of Rebels mm. uh, where you met um, uh, uh, Hera's father. Yes. All right, and and he basically sort of pseudo betray, <laughs> pseudo betrays the rebels because his whole thing is he wants his duty basically to be fulfilled. It's like, no, you're not going to steal that ship. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to blow it up in full view of the planet. I want the whole planet to see that it's been blown up and that we have been victorious in battle. That's you know, that was a really interesting episode because you got to see two uh, organizations that really should have been working together: the Ryloth Resistance and the mm-hmm. Rebel Alliance. Uh, both want the object, the, the target ship for two entirely different reasons. Mm-hmm. One guy wants it for the the propaganda combat victory. The Rebel Alliance want it for its massive uh, resource acquisition capabilities because they need a carrier. And this is very interesting. And we we're, we don't actually don't talk about it too much in this show tonight. But some of the more interesting things to note is when duties can conflict like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and it's. It's really it's really interesting, and this can create some very interesting interplay between your PCs. Um, if they have, you know, in that exact example, oh, combat victory versus resource acquisition. Let's blow it up! No, let's capture it for the rebellion. <laughs> right. You know? Um, another another uh, similar pairing that I can see a problem that comes into play is both sabotage and, and intelligence, or sabotage and resource acquisition, mm-hmm. where... One PC might want to steal something for the Alliance, but the other one, just like this episode, wants to leave it in place and sabotage it so it can cause even greater harm to the Empire. Yep, yep. It's, no, let them think they still have it, but nothing works. You know, I mean, that's the whole... Right. So, yeah, I mean, there, there, is, there is that. Now, that, so that, in that case, that could be where the actual mission of the next session revolves around your PC's duty. That, that can happen as a story reward. Mm-hmm. Another option is it could mean... That a chance to exercise the triggered PC's duty features prominently within the next session. Okay, so maybe the team is still working on a mission to break free a cadre of Wookiee slaves being used as test subjects for Imperial research, but the Alliance has suddenly learned that the PC's next target uh, to gain intel on the Wookiees has a high-tech prototype or, or knows where it's held and, and could be added to the Alliance. In other words, it's almost like um, the team now has a secondary objective. You know what I mean? Yes. I see this extremely commonly when a GM has a planned campaign, they're running the PCs through, yet someone's duty triggers and it's going to run things off the rails. You just, you, and we'll talk about this in depth more, but you can sort of add this. Okay, well, now there's also this as well on the side, you know? Right. Um, so there, there's that. And of course, it could mean jack squat. <laughs> yeah. And that the GM doesn't wish to interrupt the story narrative or just can't right now. So the party gains the basic benefits, remembers their cool successes, and just call it a win. Yeah. Maybe they're in prison, okay? And the session is about breaking out. Or they're in the trenches behind enemy lines, and this is a, a, a war zone episode. But uh, sabotage, personnel, duty personnel triggers. triggers or something like that, okay? Um, you know, and the GM just can't think of a way to bring that trigger duty into the narrative, okay? So then... So what? I mean, it's it's yeah. cool when you can bring it in, and it's really beneficial to do so. And we're going to encourage you to, and we're going to come up actually between Phil and I with some really concrete examples, and we'll try and put each other on the spot to come up with ways to always ensure you can integrate this kind of secondary duty objective into an existing campaign. Sure, but you're not obligated to, and you don't have to. 
But if you're using duty, you really want to because it it's going to we'll, – we'll talk about this. It's going to lead to greater, greater player investment if you do. Every now and then you write yourself to a quarter and the dice just throw you a curveball and you just can't hit it. It just um, it happens. And, and you just got to let that one go. Just it, let it go. It happens. So when it comes to trigger duty, Phil mm. – um, when duty triggers, do do we have any any tips for the GMs out there regarding the triggering of duty? I mean, how to make sure. this process better, anything like that? Sure. The first tip is the tip that I have for do not just duty, but also obligation and morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one that I've been using for years now, and I I live by it, and I highly recommend it. Roll duty at the end of the at the end of the prior session. Yeah. So don't wait until the start of your next session to roll duty. Roll your duty at the at for the next session at the end of the current sex, session. Mm-hmm. Not only will this allow you to plan accordingly, but it will get the PCs excited to see, hey, next up, your combat victory duty is coming into play, or your intelligence duty is coming into play. You, you ever, do, in your in your games, do you have players that sometimes maybe every other game or every third game they have to miss? Okay. Um, I've, I've been lucky in that and every now and then I've got a PC who can't make it, for, but for the most part, we try to run when everyone can be there. Okay. So in my adult life world, it, it, you know, I, I kind of write where if you can make it great, if you can't, you can't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And maybe once, that, once yeah. every fourth or fifth session, I got a PC that's got to miss, right? They sure. got family obligations, something. I had a PC literally cancel a family commitment because his duty was rolled and he knew he was going to be playing the next session and his was going to be his duty. <laughs> Wow! It was like, oh man, I can't miss that, you know. So that that's that's the kind of impact it can have when you let your players know ahead of time. Um, so what do we have? What else we got? So we got roll at the end of the prior session. What what else we got? Try, 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 try for the secondary objective. Mm. I'll be quite frank. I I don't know about you, Phil, but I have never never seen a GM stop down an entire campaign story for a triggered duty just to ensure that a player has a unique mission that fits their triggered duty. I think I did it once for obligation way back at the beginning of the game. Before that, before like, we oh, knew no. before we knew to do better, right? Right. Um I have always seen it done where the triggered duty just happens to fit with the next planned session, which happens surprisingly often. It does, yeah. Or the trigger duty simply creates a secondary objective opportunity within the planned forthcoming session. And this, it is so easy to do. It is. A few minutes of planning and thought can insert a really cool trigger duty uh, secondary objective in, into even the most pre-planned of adventures. So I thought you and I could take a brief aside and actually show the listeners how this can be done. Okay. Cool. Um, I'd like to give an example of, of a pre-planned session and a seemingly contradictory duty that was triggered for it, and then talk about how we can work in a solid secondary objective. Okay, cool. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and hit you up first, okay? All right, go so for it. Here's my, here's my example for you. The PCs, this is the session, the PCs okay. are set to assassinate a moth, threatening local systems by sneaking into his mansion and snuffing him out. Okay. Okay? Triggered duty... Space superiority. Mm. Okay. Well, the first one that leaps to mind for me uh, would be that maybe the Moff's estate houses a trio of experimental TIE fighters. Maybe they're 
they're either upgunned or they've got two man tie fighters you know kind of like the ones in in um in uh, episode 7 uh, the PCs might steal to make their post-assassination exfiltration, fighting off some badass orbital defenses on the way out. But what else? What? Because I like I like that space superiority isn't just about blowing up stuff. It's about um, achieving. It's about achieving uh, absolute control of of, uh, of outer space, not not aircraft, but uh, but not air, airspace, outer space. Um. Maybe the Moth is part of a, a Senate subcommittee, familiar with plans for an upcoming orbital strike. Uh, plans that can be stolen by the PCs while on their mission, making things more challenging, of course, because you've now got this additional computer system that you have to slice into to get this information. Mm. Stop that orbital strike. This is a great idea. I absolutely love it. Um, is there a third option? Is there a third one? You've given two really good ones. I like the idea that if the if the that if the PCs are discovered by the by the Empire uh, just after or even before their assassination, that they will have to fight their way out. Uh, and of course, there's always the possibility of uh, escaping back to their ship. And as they they leave, they just have to you know run and gun their way out, destroying enemy Tie fighters as they come swarming in on them. Um, you know, achieving space superiority to escape. Absolutely. Um, there's a good suggestion in Echo Base right now. Um, maybe the PCs have to find a way to subvert or bypass an Imperial blockade to get yep. access to our Moff's mansion, all right? Mm-hmm. So when the hit finally goes down, not only have they hit him and cacked him, but they have humiliated the Imperial military. Yeah. They're, they're the, the Imperial Navy. I like it. I like it a lot. See? There we go. All right, man. All right, all right, all right. Give me one. Give me one. Give me all one. All right. All right. Um, okay. So the party is on a negotiation mission to convince a powerful Outer Rim System government to back the Rebel Alliance at a, some fancy dinner party. Ooh, okay. Trigger duty, combat victory. <laughs> um, okay. Um, maybe, um, maybe the assembled system delegates, right, at this fancy dinner party. Uh, the PCs succeed in all their checks, all right, and they, they, the system delegates agree to help if... The alliance will help them, okay. Because there is an imperial base on one of their colonies that's threatening the local populace, and if the alliance can take that base out, it'll prove to the delegates that the alliance has the stones to take on the empire. Peace through superior firepower. I like it. Done. Um. um cool. What What else can you got? What else you got? Uh, okay, well, that, that kind of splits the session almost off into like a secondary side adventure, right? That would that would accommodate it. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, maybe maybe the dinner party you mentioned mm-hmm. is raided by the ISB or by a local uh, by a local crime syndicate. Okay. And the PCs have to step up and protect the delegates, uh, showcasing the alliance's ability to kick ass and take names. So what you're saying is that the man in the back says, everyone attack, and it turns into a ballroom blitz. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Dono, thank you for that setup from uh, Echo Base. Appreciate that. Very, very nice. <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. And, and I, I think that that is what I would do in that situation. I think the, the first one really turns it into a multi-part adventure that might be what they do after the fact, of after the, you know, not necessarily as a secondary objective. That's kind of an objective in and of itself. Um, I love the raid, though. The raid idea is great. 
yeah, I, I, uh, I think, I think, I mean, it could be, it could be very surprising, right? Mm. So you can have a social interaction, and then we're well, still in, 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 uh, in tucks and tails. You can <laughs> fight off, <laughs> fight off some troopers. Because hey, who, who doesn't enjoy a good, uh, a good fight while looking good at the same time? Exactly. Especially if you got a spy or two in the party, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what else we got? What else we got? Okay, I got, I got, I got another one for you. Um, sure. Okay. The rebels are about to assault an enemy stronghold. Okay, one that has been uh, the base of operations for an elite Imperial Spec Force team. Okay. Trigger duty, recruitment. Ooh. Okay. All right. Um. The first thing that leaps to mind is what if one of the Imperial Strike Team members had family on Alderaan, or a sibling who defected to the Alliance, you know, like a Civil War type thing. Or maybe has grown tired of the atrocities he's seen or had to partake in and is looking for a reason or excuse to defect the Alliance. Uh, this attack gives him that opportunity. Mm, that's pretty good. Um, oh, oh, what if, um, what if one or several of the base's droids are reprogrammed to help out the PCs and after the attack decide to stick with the Rebel Alliance? Maybe because they were treated better than the Imperials did. This could be actually that could actually be an interesting discussion about whether or not droids count as personnel or resources. Oh wow! Well, I've recruited this droid, so you captured that. So you 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 uh, uh, counter uh, you commandeered the droid. No, no, I I I I assisted him. He escaped. He's going to join us. So he's a resource for property. No, <laughs> he's like, a person. Damn it! Hey, the kind of GM I am, I would um, I would probably award both duties. <laughs> Right? It's all about mentality. Oh, dude, that's hilarious. Those are fun. Those are some fun. Those And those are some fun things that you can do in your games to to go with the adventure that you have written. But if someone's, obli- if someone's uh, duty gets rolled, roll with it, man. Roll with it. Roll with it and have it's fun with it. Fun stuff. And this is one of the reasons it's so imperative to roll that duty a session ahead of time so that you can yeah. plan, you can plan for this. And just remember, so that doesn't mean you have to derail your entire plans. If you plan the next session to be a uh, infiltration of a star destroyer to to either steal a prototype or slice a system or find out where the empire, where the ship is going next, and warn them, and it turns into some kind of recruitment drive or counterintelligence uh, counterintelligence action, roll with it, make it happen. Let it just, 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 you can find ways to incorporate it, creative ways, and lead to memorable encounters. Amen. Amen. So these are, these are all, these are, these are options. They're things you can do. So mm-hmm. for a GM, when you're triggering, roll for it at the end of the session, like we said, prior session, and try, try, try for the secondary objective. It's not that hard. In fact, yeah, it's, it's awfully fun. Very. Okay, so we've talked about, Overall, what duty is at a high level mm-hmm. as a PC? We've talked about how you pick it. We've talked about what happens when it's triggered and how that can work into the game in the session. Sure. Can duty change? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's important to note that this can and sometimes often will occur. And as a GM, don't be afraid of it. Mm. Uh, you, your character could have your PC could have a change of focus, and oftentimes a player gets bored with the duty they've had for the past few sessions. Maybe it hasn't worked out for them. It doesn't work the way they intended, and and wasn't what they would thought it would be. 
maybe the way the campaign is running, they just don't get a chance to shine with it as they thought they would. From a narrative standpoint, maybe the character has just simply grown to value new and different things. Yeah. Maybe he's grown, uh, maybe he's gone jaded and hardcore and only cares about combat victory. Maybe he's grown wise and his contribution rank has given him notoriety, so he now values his ability as a recruiter. Mm. Mm. Um, As a GM tip, to keep things narratively clean, it is a wise idea to only allow a change in duty after the party has reached a contribution rank, and all duty values have been reset to zero anyway. Word. Heck, it could even be part of the contribution award. Okay, guys, uh, does anyone want to change their duty? You know, ask that at the end of at when uh, when the, when you all rank up. That's a really good thought, actually. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Now, there's another way that your duty could change, and quite simply, that's by getting one in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, now that all three lines are out, I mean. The reality of how FFG system players, I'm sorry, FFG, are most commonly playing, is setting in, and nobody plays with just one line. No. <laughs> um, rarely does a GM ever say, this is an Age of Rebellion-only campaign. It's uh, rare. It's very rare. Very rare. Even if it's a Rebellion-focused campaign, I- I've rarely heard a GM say that. Sure. Um, thus, most real games in the real world out there are allowing Edge of the Empire characters and Force and Destiny characters into play even in a Rebellion-focused game. Yeah. So, Edge of the Empire characters, Force and Destiny characters may join the Alliance, man. I mean, these are characters that start, you know, ostensibly with a... Uh, I mean, uh, granted, uh, you can run games where, you, you know you know what, if you're an Edge of the Empire character, this is a Rebellion-focused game, we're just going to issue obligation, and you're gonna just going to use the duty mechanic, okay? You can do that. But, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, what are what are... What what are some GM tips we have for for these these other line Edge of the Empire Force and Destiny characters that are coming into a rebellion game with duty? Well, as one big tip, we recommend that. Um, all right, well let's let's talk about this. Um, so GMs are allowing characters to have obligation and duty and morality. Heck, we've run it all. We've run this all of ourselves, right, Chris? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So after a few years, we've learned that that's more of a headache than it's worth. <laughs> Um, especially if you go all three, two of them you can kind of manage. You can three, you can manage it, but it's not worth it. So we recommend that a character with obligation buy off their obligations if possible, or perhaps just reduce them down to that bare minimum of five uh, before taking on duty. It's just easier for everyone, and there's really no more perfect example of a character with both obligation and duty than Han Solo. Ah culminating at the start of episode six. Uh, but by the end of the episode of, of uh, Return of the Jedi, Han has kissed his obligation goodbye, and his party uh, ended his obligation by killing Jabba in a most inglorious manner. That, that, not even by the end of episode six. That was by the end of act one. Right. right in, for, in, sorry. in episode six, man. I mean, like, boom, right away. That's a perfect way to do it. That, that is a perfect way and excuse to transition from I have obligation to the source of my obligation is now dead and destroyed. Uh, time for me to sign on completely with the Alliance. And I would argue at that point, there's a full contribution rank increase for the party after the events at Java's Palace, right? And it's like, all right, you guys are now really famous, and now you're above, you know, 14 in terms of your party's contribution rank. And you're all generals now. Congratulations, you know? Right. Um, which happened, you know, in episode six. It did. So, it absolutely did. All right, so that's obligation. Morality is kind of a different matter, though. 
It is. It is. First of all, there's no real reward or economy mechanic around it, so it's it's less of a headache to have than obligation or duty. Um, second of all, we highly recommend that any, that any and every force user uh, run morality, or rather, force sensitive runs with morality. Yeah. It just makes so force so much more balanced with the narrative and mechanical perspective. Yeah. Um, so most of the characters that I've run who have two mechanics, it's obligation or duty and morality yeah i i i agree um you have a couple that are both obligation and duty but for the most part it's 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 high we're uh we're for we are jedi and we're being hunted so we have the obligation of being hunted or high we are imperial knights so we have the duty mechanic and both characters ha- and both of those types of characters have morality as well. Yeah, and the, the reason I personally have a major issue with, uh, as I've as I've learned, mm-hmm. um, running both obligation and duty together, mm-hmm. is that they are both resource economy giving mechanics. They are, and you can essentially double up in a way the game was never designed to do. If you take duty, as we'll get to, you can earn some really cool stuff for your character. Um, mm-hmm. You 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 work and you work and you earn it. Obligation is you get a bunch of really cool stuff for your character, and then you're paying off the debt. Okay, yeah. it's just it's the inverse. But the idea is both those mechanics were not intended to be exposed to the same player. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like I can start the game with the ship and have a huge obligation, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time I'm still earning duty to then get a ship from the alliance. It's it, it, it's it's you know it, it, yeah I, I don't and and even character creation aside if you're running obligation you I mean the way the system is designed for obligation I can walk up to a you know a hut loan shark and be like hey I'd like forty five G's because I want to buy a beat up freighter all right and you suddenly just take that obligation if the GM allows it and right. that can happen at a hundred earned XP at two hundred earned XP at any point in the game right. Exactly. So, so that's kind of why I really don't recommend combining obligation and duty. Morality and obligation, morality and duty, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's just fine. So, so we've talked a lot about contribution rank. Yeah. Uh, or why you're really tracking this all in the first place. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about that, and let's talk about the benefits of that, the the mechanisms behind that, and and. As I said, why you're doing it in the first place? Yeah, I mean, really getting into that 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 nitty gritty. Um, yeah. Like I said, I mean, obligation obviously gives you these benefits and resources up front uh, that you have to pay off at a later time. Morality is just internal conflict and character development. Really, I mean, yeah, maybe there's like a one time threshold bump, you know, when sure. you you know, or or a destiny point boon at the beginning of a session. But but duty, duty is something else. Mm. You start with nothing. And you are earning your way towards rewards, towards recognition. And that is really what contribution rank is all about. Mm-hmm. What it means is that as your party earns duty, when your combined duty values exceed 100, then the whole party increases its contribution rank by one. It's a party stat, your contribution yep. rank. And you start at zero. Um, and, and that just happens. And then your all of your duty values reset. Uh, to zero. Contribution rank represents your team's overall respect within the Rebellion, your notoriety outside of the Rebellion, and what Alliance Command will now give you. I mean, not just in terms of equipment, ships, and resources, which it will, but in terms of missions, okay? Mm -hmm. What they're willing to trust you with. 
um, as well as the intangibles like rank, okay, and privilege. Um, but let's let's talk about these these rewards, man. I mean, I mean, so so obviously there, there's there are some concrete rewards, yes, that that are a part of increasing your contribution rank that are are really what get PCs excited and what they're working towards. Right. Uh, so when your party reaches its new contribution rank, they get a series of tangible rewards. They get stuff. Yeah. Because the Alliance has seen that their effort and their commitment to the cause and has thus uh, decided to reward them with the tools needed to make them even more effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you get a new contribution rank, you, the, you can select from uh, each PC gaining a piece of equipment, be it weapons, armor, gear, or whatnot, with a rarity of three plus the party's contribution rank, even restricted if the GM's allowing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the party gains a vehicle with a rarity of three plus the party's contribution rank, again, even if the GM allows. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the party gains a strategic asset that falls in none of the above categories at the GM's discretion. Uh, perhaps they get a safe house on a key world or a temporary use of a more powerful ship or perhaps an alliance team to assist them in missions. The possibilities there really are endless, as the party really needs to work with the GM to come up with something meaningful if it's not going to be a physical, tangible thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for those PCs working on a base from the Desperate Allies source book, the book for uh, diplomats, uh, your new contribution rank can be used to earn that many new upgrades to the base to a maximum of five per the rules in that source book. This is true. This is true. But you get one of these four choices. One of those four. So either everybody gets a piece of equipment personal to them, or the party gets a vehicle, a strategic asset, or improvements to their 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 space, safe house, whatever. Gotcha. Gotcha. And obviously, as your contribution rank increases, you can be getting some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, when you get up to like a contribution oh, yeah. rank of 10, I mean, you're looking at rarity 13 items. I mean, Which really doesn't exist. They really don't. But at that point, it's like the alliance is like, "Hey, we found you a lightsaber." Yeah, you know, if you the, if as the, early as rank seven. It's rank seven. Yeah, I mean, if the GM's cool with that, right? So um, now, as we'll talk to you, rank seven. You're talking, you know, twenty, twenty-one sessions in, <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah, that's a few years. Yeah, but still, um, it's it's there. So what's the other sort of? consequence of increasing your contribution rank <laughs> well it's both good and bad but notoriety mm-hmm. um it's in my opinion the most fun part of of duty and and uh an increased contribution rank for many parties uh is this intangible reward that it brings notoriety respect rank right. uh specifically table nine three on page 325 of the age of rebellion core rule book highlights this and and we're not going to waste time reading out loud what you can read right there in black and white on the book Sure. Um, suffice it to say, the party's overall contribution rank measures their badassery. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only will this win them actual physical rank within the alliance, you know, oh, you're a captain now, congratulations, right? Yep. Um, but it will win you respect within the alliance and unwanted attention from without. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you start hitting ranks, really once you start to become rank two or better, your party becomes faces of the rebellion. Um, yeah. This can be good. It can, can al- be bad. It can also be bad, yes. <laughs> uh, you get such fun things as, as making possibly your recruitment duties a lot easier to accomplish, but also your combat victories as the Empire starts sending specialized team or entire divisions of troops after you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. 
You start becoming high-value targets and targets of opportunity for the Empire. Yeah. Uh, which means that certain Imperials may find out who you are, find out who you, who your friends are and family, and go after them as a consequence. All kinds of good uh, story story fueling stuff for the GM. Yeah. Speaking of, mm. let's talk about really what I think a lot of our listeners have been waiting for. Right. GMing the duty. Yeah. Really, the, the, the hardest part comes down to with, um, first of all, how to award it mm-hmm. and how to plan games around it. Um, and we're also going to talk about some other creative ways to use this honestly easily manageable mechanic. Yeah. So... Let's talk about planning campaigns around your party's duties. Yeah. Because uh, we've talked a great deal about triggering duties that ensure your PCs will have a chance to have their duty goals be recognized and, and brought into the story through secondary jet objectives. But it really goes deeper than that, right, Chris? It does. It does. And, and, and the, the key thing, the reason duty is, is a wonderful resource for a GM who's running a rebellion game, and I encourage it, is you have, you have this just, you're given a paintbrush just loaded with paint Mm. paint let the party duties mold your campaign i don't care as a gm if you never ever ever trigger any of your pc's duties maybe you go 20 sessions rolling a 100 on the percentile dice every single time okay (laughs) i don't care you should still plan your overall campaign sessions and the story to ensure that each pc will have their day in the sun every few sessions yeah Know your players' duties ahead of time and plan the campaign story arc, the sessions, and the missions around those duties. And the other thing, too, allow for multiple duties to be achieved or worked towards in a single session whenever possible. Right. You're probably going to want to do this and need to do this anyway just to ensure that your party's advancing at the rate at which they need to, but we'll talk about that. Right. So let the party duties mold the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing is using low and high duties and contribution ranks in the campaign. Um, and right. this is where that notoriety component comes in, yeah? It, it is, it is. Um, and I really like it because it's something that is a, a brilliant turnkey, that, that is a brilliant turnkey mission component for any GM that really thinks about it. Yeah. Um, what missions will the Alliance trust a lowly recruit PCs with zero contribution rank and less than 50 duty value apiece. Um, the ones where no one can know the PCs are part of the rebellion. That's what. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, local system leader really needs to be swayed to support the rebellion, but they're terrified of being spotted talking to the rebels. Yeah. Um, like a core ward facility that needs infiltration, but the infiltrators can be on, can't be on any Imperial watch lists. Exactly. Things like that. I mean, and even combat victories? Um Quite honestly, either either the the real named uh, what about a what about a combat what about a a, um, a battle situation where the real faces of the rebellion are off in one corner of the woods drawing the one quarter of the woods drawing the imperial's attention, but the PCs are able to kind of sort of sneak around and inf- and, and come on come at the place from the side, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Crazy stuff like that. Yeah. Now uh, then. There are the missions that the Alliance will only trust to high-contribution, high-value, proven rebels. 
Right. What do we got for those? Well, I mean, I mean, big stuff. High risk targets, classified intel that they're not going to share with you unless you are a trusted member of the rebellion, meaning you've mm. proven your value um, right. through contribution rank, which measures that. Um, recruitment missions where your party's notoriety is something the Alliance Command wants at the bargaining table. Mm. You know, it's like heroes of the rebellion. Heroes of the rebellion. Holy crap! It's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Right, <laughs> he blew up the de- he blew up the Death Star. <laughs> oh damn! Oh damn! Hey, I'm gonna shake your hand. I'll buy you a blue milk. I mean, <laughs> that's you know, th- th- there's there's times where that notoriety can come into play. Yeah, um, exactly. So so you know, it's not just planning missions around the individual duties that your your players want to represent. But as you're thinking ahead for that next session, think about the nitty-gritty and the details of how those missions are going to play out and how the party's contribution rank is going to affect that, um, you know, making things either easier or more difficult. So, yeah. All right, so let's talk about that part, the, the advancing in contribution ranks, <laughs> and specifically how fast it should be happening. Because... Uh, to, uh, even even myself, I, I, this is perhaps the most confusing and misunderstood part of the duty there is. How much do I award? And honestly, for what? I mean, I've got my own method, and it seems to be working pretty well. But it's hard, because the books really didn't give me any concrete rules or examples for this. It's entirely up to me as the GM to figure out. Yeah. So I, I, have, refi- I, I have refined a methodology. <laughs> Lay it on me. Lay it on me. Um, that really works for me. I think people make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And unfortunately, I think maybe the books have trained us to do that a little bit because they give us these nice little tables for things like, um, you know, what you can spend to advantage on or what you can spend to triumph on. Yes, yes. And they're thinking about it from the bottom up when they need to be thinking about it from the top down. Um, But I'll come to that. Okay. What you've got to do is the, the, the reason the the reason these rules are so non concrete and there's no examples and they're so generic is is in order to accommodate the different styles of play and campaigns that different groups have. To figure out how much you should award, you need to ask yourself as the GM and your players a series of questions. Okay. Number one. How fast should the party advance in contribution ranks? Hmm. Is this going to be a jump into the fray game with rapid, rapid advancement? I want them to have a new contribution rank every session, every other session. Okay. <laughs> is it, 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 dude? If it's like if I know this is going to be a six month game, and then I got I got players that are shipping out. Okay, and I want to I want to I want to get some awesome advancement in. That's totally reasonable. Is this going to be, in, on the opposite end, a slow burn game that takes a lot of time to really make a difference in the Rebellion? Some PCs are really into that. Right. Or is it going to be the more common, most common, middle ground approach? Question one. Question two. How often will you play? This is an extremely important question because out of game, the players will often get very bored not advancing or gaining ships or equipment only every few months of real world time. Sure. Okay. So that's question two. Question three, how much command do the players want within the alliance? This might sound odd, but there are groups of players out there that are seriously interested in just being ground-pounding soldiers or fringers. They don't have any real interest in running the rebellion. 
Yeah, that can be an important one, actually. It is. And in that case, you can slow burn advancement instead of relying on found credits and loot to supplement your contribution rank benefits that you're getting at a much slower pace. There you go. Okay. Those three questions, first things you could ask yourself. All of that leads you to my recommended approach, Phil. Okay. So I'm going to recommend my approach now. Is very middle of the road for advancement and assumes roughly four hour sessions of play every other week or so. Mm. You're All going right. you're going to want to adjust this model according to your group's desires based on those three questions that you've asked yourself and your group, hopefully. Okay. Shoot. All right. Contribution rank advancement goal every three to four sessions. That's what you should shoot for. You hmm. should shoot for the party to advance a contribution rank every three to four sessions. It's a good standard, okay? Okay. Let your group gain that contribution rank every three to four sessions. Now, once you know that, the math kind of works for you, and you just work backwards. People are like, okay, well, what if I do this? How much duty is that worth? It doesn't work that way. Don't think that way. How much duty do you want to award them per session Okay, in order to meet this contribution rank advancement of every three to four sessions, that's what you present them with the opportunity to earn. And as long as you're consistent in your game with what earns what, it's not going to matter if another GM awards a different value for that. Okay, so honestly, if, if you're talking about three to four sessions, four four hour sessions every other week, mm-hmm. that actually really kind of fits into what my 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 experience is. Because most of my sessions are like six to eight hours, but we get to play like every six to eight weeks. Yeah. You you, you probably have maybe, you're probably advancing a rank every session or every other session, right? Every other session is what, yeah. it's, what it's working out to. Yeah, that's roughly right. All right. Now, if you're working backwards, though, if you say, okay, so we're, we're, you're going to advance, we're, you should be advancing contribution rank every other session. In your case, yeah. The, well, okay, yeah, in my case. But okay, so every three to four sessions, let's make it, let's stick with the example. If you're saying contribution rank advancement every three to four sessions, does the amount of duty you're awarding even matter then? It does, because you want to give them the meaningful chance of failure. And if they fail to complete those objectives, it's going to be an extra session or three until they advance ah. a contribution rank. You understand? So it's not advance every three to four sessions. No. It's opportunity. It's the potential to advance. Simply Gosh. speaking, if it takes 100 earned duty value to advance a contribution rank, then you as a GM need to need to have the opportunity for your players to earn roughly 25 to 30 duty per session, right? Okay, yeah, this yeah. is simple math, okay? This leads that you to... doesn't mean they get it. doesn't mean they get it, okay? It's just their goal. So you want to have a contribution rank advancement goal of every three to four sessions, and that's going to equate to a duty awarding goal of roughly 25 duty per session is what the opportunity should be there for. But again, that doesn't mean you just award it. It means you give your team the chance to earn it every session. Gotcha. Okay? Okay. Now, 10 to 20 duty per primary mission goal is typically what I go for. Okay. That, that sounds right. Okay, it's just that easy. If a party member does a major contribution to their duty for the Alliance, they should earn 10 to 20 duty for doing so. Right. Dig it. Dig it. So I have some examples for you. Okay. Space superiority. That's a pretty easy one if you think about it. Pretty easy one. Defeating a squadron of ties in orbit. Okay. Hey, sure. we kicked their butts. Ten duty. Like Hu- 
humiliating a squadron of ties, or a noted imperial admiral maybe forcing a retreat, okay, or defeating overwhelming odds and then leaking footage to the holonet, that's 20 duty, buddy. <laughs> ah. You feel me? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Okay, and I, I can do this all day, man. Give me some other, give me some other, um, some other duty, g- give me another duty example or two. Uh, tech procurement. Tech procurement. Um, oh, borrowing a page from Rebels. Uh, you secure a bunch of new capital ship grade shield generators for the Alliance. Okay. Ten, right. ten duty. But if you also set up a trading partner sympathetic to the Alliance for future shield generator sales at a discount, 20 duty. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, political support. Easy. Uh, convince a... A, a, a planetary leader to provide a safe haven for rebel forces in his system. Okay? Yep. Ten duty. If you were to instead convince the entire planetary parliament to commit military forces to the alliance, that there is 20 duty. Like it. All right. Like it. You getting the idea? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's magnitude of magnitude of um, of your magnitude of your duty type the the more prominent the the result the more eff- the more effective the result the more duty you get exactly all right maybe they fail maybe they earn zero duty maybe they do the bare minimum and they get their 10 duty maybe you present them the seed to d- just blow it out of the water and they get their 20 duty but good for them but those are some good examples of basic mission goals primary mission goals that you can complete during a session that will award you some some basic duty but even then if you do your math i said 25 duty per session is what you should shoot for for an opportunity for your players right right 10 to 20 ain't going to cut that Mm. which is why i remember what i said earlier what we said earlier that you should always try to work in multiple duties into a session Mm -hmm. you should give the chance to have five to ten duty be able to be earned for secondary objectives which we've spent some time talking about now right sure the ability to, okay, this is your mission, but then there's also this you can do as well, all right? Um, having a chance for that recruitment duty to shine in a combat victory, like you mentioned earlier, right? Right. Um, uh, you know, maybe they're defeating, uh, convincing a defeated foe he's been throwing in with the wrong lot. Maybe, maybe a, a counterintelligence-focused mission, which is very specific, uh, can provide the opportunity to liquidate an ISB officer. Okay, uh, for a minor combat victory duty, you know, for for an extra five points or an extra ten points if you blow it out of the water, you know. There, there's this one duty type that I really like. I can't remember if it's from Stay on Target or if it's from um, um, Lead by Example, Placard Hunter. I love Placard I Hunter. I love Placard Hunter. You have, uh, and to be fair, you have to work to have a Placard Hunter not be applicable in any given situation. Uh, I mean, like, you know, taking out your average Imperial officer, be it on the ground or in space or whatnot, that can that can happen pretty common. So that could be an interesting secondary objective. But what happens if you come across like the Red Baron of the Empire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What what happens if that's the case? Or, you know, a ship is being commanded by a famous captain and whatever you can do to utterly humiliate them, if not kill them Um, outright, something like that. That is is just you know you're 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 looking for that secondary objective practically every session if you've got that one. Yup. So so there there is there is this all right it is there all right. 
Now, as an audible in the notes, because one of the things that we're not going to be talking about directly, um, because quite frankly, we're going to be having, um, well, isn't that special conversations to really talk about each of them? Right. That's what I'm I'm thinking. But it it is worth noting that in in the Desperate Allies source book, all right, uh, for Age of Rebellion, um, there are some very interesting uh, talents that actually do interact with duty in a very concrete way and can really change the schema up for you. Propagandists. All right. And I'm specifically looking at the propagandist, um, which is a, 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 a specialization designed and all of their big things are to enhance the earning of duty. Does the, here, here's what I will say about the propagandist. Okay. And the various talents that interact with duty. If you have a PC that goes with this spec and they're getting these talents, should you fill adjust the model that I've gone over to ensure that your PCs are still getting that three to four session boost in contribution rank. No, because basically by having the propagandist in your party, you're giving the PCs the opportunity to make that goal, even if they don't necessarily have that overwhelming earning of that, uh, of their specific uh, duty. Precisely. If you do this, you will be cutting off that player's efforts like the nose despite his face. You right. must not do it. If they have a propagandist, will they be earning duty faster and will they be advancing contribution thanks, ranks faster than your three to four sessions for four hours for each session? Possibly. Possibly. Probably. Possibly. Okay? Yeah. And that's okay. That's why he's a propagandist. Right. He's advertising your group's he's advertising your group's efforts and victories, which is kind of the point of the having the contribution rank. It's that secondary uh, effect of having the high contribution rank. You're more famous! Yes, this is this is absolutely correct. Now, the other thought to, to come into play as well that I haven't really mentioned because I'm not a huge fan of it is the idea that if a PC's duty triggers, mm-hmm. that they will earn more contribute. They will earn more duty for for going after that duty. Hmm. Um, I'm not a huge huge fan of this concept for a couple reasons. Um, and the 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 major the the the, fir- the first is you you're already being rewarded because your duty is triggered. Okay, yeah. That is the chance now to go after your duty to even have a secondary objective in the first place or have the primary objective be your duty. Right. And some of the propagandists' most basic abilities ensure that a PC's duty triggers. Okay. Right. Um. This is one of the things that when it doesn't trigger, you can ensure that it does. All right? So like you were saying, it, it increases the opportunity you have to earn that 10 or 20 as opposed right. to just a 5 or 10. And that, that's really, it's really kind of what it comes down to. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I have to say about the propagandist. I really want to save more detailed discussion of those talents until we get into the actual spec discussion. All right? Right, because that's going to be a pretty decent part of it. it it's going to be there. But this is my basic formula. Um, and it, it's, it's worked for me and Phil, I don't know if you want to, want to add to or comment on it. Most of the GMs I've talked to do this without realizing that they're doing it. Yeah. But the only thing that I would add to that is, and I, I think I agree with what you say. I, I, I kind of were, was unintentionally or, or unknowingly doing it that way anyway. Um, one thing I will do is I will look at the PC's contribute the PC's actions and, at the end of the session, if they didn't really do anything that advances their specific duty type, I do tend to throw on three to five uh, duty to their score simply by you're continuing to you're continuing to to support the alliance and, and doing stuff in their name. Yeah, 
Um, it's it's not five, it's not ten, it's not twenty. It's it's a small award of you're still doing stuff for the alliance, even if you didn't do anything that was space superiority, even if you didn't do anything that was uh, tech procurement. Just here's three or five more, just to keep your score in the game and and show that the alliance does know does recognize the fact that you're doing something to support them. Well, and bottom line is, if you're running a rebellion game that has do, or if you're running a game that has duty in it, and you do you have a session where it's not possible for one of your PCs to advance their duty value, you're doing it wrong. And I hope we've made that clear to this point. Yeah. Um. So so there there is that. Now, as far as GMing duty goes, there's one more interesting thing I think it's worthwhile to bring up. Sure. And I don't think a lot of PCs, or a lot of GMs think about this. Possibly not. NPC duties and ranks. Mm. Um, this is the last big tip I think we can really give you, um, is to quickly utilize the duty framework to bring life um, and standing to prominent NPCs. Mm-hmm. What does the session BBEG look like? What is his contribution rank to the Empire? In other words, how big of a target is he? Yeah. And why is this important? Because it can give you instant fluff. Is he a known face that PCs will recognize from Imperial Bulletins or the Holonet? Or is he some faceless collaborator the Rebellion would never suspect as a mole because his rank or his duty is so low? Mm. Um slyly adding increases in rank and duty to recurring NPCs makes them more notorious to the rebellion. Right. And consequently adds life to a recurring baddie in your campaign. It's one of those things that this is some faceless mook who betrayed the party in session one and he keeps coming back. The act of him doing that is going to increase his contribution rank ultimately by increasing his duty to the empire. And so he's going to become a more known face to the galaxy at large. And representing that in your game can really solidify him in the PC's mind. And it's just something to think about. These mechanics and this notoriety of duty, which is my favorite part of it, applies to your PCs, of course. But on the back end, it applies to everyone who's a part of a paramilitary organization. Hell yeah. And understanding that can help you help you. Do things. I mean, and also uh, uh, determine targets appropriately. If if I've got you know, I mean, it's really putting it's really putting a just different school of thought to the stuff we all know and do instinctively. If my forty earned XP party uh, wants to is is given a mission to go take out a high value imperial target, it's not going to be Grand Moff Tarkin. No. <laughs> right? Now, it's not because they don't have a chance in hell of beating him. It's because they're not going to be trusted with an assignment because Tarkin's contribution rank to the Empire is nowhere near on pars with their contribution rank to the Rebellion. Those, it's like a 20. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Those two kind of need to be in sync. So that's, that's just kind of my last piece of GM nuggets there. I don't know. Just thinking about that helps me restructure things, you know, a little bit. So, I like it. All right, Phil. Final thoughts, man. Um. Okay. Duty. It's an elegant, wonderful role playing and role playing source and resource mechanic for this game. When you're running, think in terms of notoriety and overall recognition within the rebellion. That's going to come right from your contribution rank. Define how fast you want your party's contribution ranks to increase and work backwards to know exactly how much duty to award 
for successful actions. Mm-hmm. And finally, folks, let duty define your campaign and help define it with missions and goals for your PCs to achieve. There you go. And I don't think people are expecting this kind of advice, but I mean, like, what is worth how much duty? But yeah, think about it from the top down, not the bottom up. There is no chart of this action is worth this much duty, and there's no need for one. Don't think about it that way. The closest you're going to find are in like books like The Operation at Audra, and they've kind of got their own thing. But that that's that's a printed module. That's kind of in and of itself. Honestly, if I was running that as a, a campaign, I would do exactly what Chris is talking about. I would look at how much contribution rank I'd expecting them to acquire. I would back I would back roll the uh, the game to figure out okay how many sessions this is going to take, and then I would calculate it out from there. Yeah, it's really not that hard. I think people put a lot more effort and consternation into it than they need to. Sure. So there it is. Mm. Well, I'm going to scrape the duty off my shoe and uh, and uh, leave that big old pile of duty behind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've pretty well flushed this topic. I think we have too. We just dropped a big old loaf right there. <laughs> it's done. It's done. Really good suggestion, guys. Thank you very much. Um, if you guys have any topics you'd like us to discuss, uh, we have a pretty hectic show schedule planned. A lot of things to discuss because they right. kind of keep releasing books. Um, but, you know, oh, no. as far as what things we tackle in what order and what you'd like us to talk about, whether it be additional topics for the Senate halls in terms of GM advice, whether it be uh, 4C issues, whether it be uh, a specialization you'd like us to cover in our Well, well Isn't That Special recurring meat segment, or anything else under the sun, you can, of course, head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums where you will find the Order 66 podcast boards and a dedicated sticky thread devoted to nothing but show topic requests. And you can make your voice heard. So there. Well, Phil, what do you say we go somewhere that you and I have not been in far too long? Mm. Listener, a little, Speaking of backlogs. Listener questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Welcome to Messages from the Edge, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How, Philbert, can people get us these questions? The easiest way is to travel to our forums and post them up. Head over to www.d20radio.com forums, register, and head to the Order 66 podcast boards where you will find a Messages from the Edge thread. You can also email your question to us at gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, and gmphil at d20radio.com. Finally, if you're brave enough, you can leave us a question via the voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262 Radio. It's 262-320-7234. It's interesting. We actually, this is, we, we do not have a question tonight from GM Hooley. I know. Um, not that he hasn't sent we them. We saw him a week ago. We did, we did. And not that he hasn't sent them, but we have a lot of questions. Um, I was speaking to another one of the one of the Aussies, uh, one of our community members, uh, Chris Dawson. We had three Australians come up for the con, um, inc- including Hooley. Uh, the other was James, who's actually one of the hosts of Grimdark, which was great. Yes. Um... But uh, Chris, one of the Aussies, was telling me, he says that he's done the math and that we mentioned Hooli 
Hooli's been mentioned every 3.5 episodes of the Order 66 podcast. What an interesting stat. That's a very interesting stat. No questions, but we actually have mentioned his name now. Therefore, we are keeping the trend going. I just like we to point that out. We are. totally are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, want me to uh, start firing off questions at you? Hey, man. Let's answer them. All right. First up tonight, we have an excellent question that honestly saddens us just a little bit. From Clone Commando 3113, who writes, Hello, GMs, Chris, Phil, and Dave. Hello. My, play- my players have a horrible habit of hoarding destiny points during a session, often using only one or two the whole session. I've tried coaxing them into using them for sim- cinematic combat and narrative control. However, they seem afraid of me as a GM gaining dark side points. How can I change their perceptions and give them and get them to use more destiny points? He goes on to elaborate that many of his players and himself are somewhat still stuck in the D20 mindset. Mm. And therein lies the problem. <laughs> it's rough, man. Yeah. I mean, when, when players don't trust the GM not to screw them over, that is so much a holdout of D20. It really is, yeah. Just old gaming in general. It is. And dude, yeah, I don't, I don't want to... I, I say D20 because that's the prior edition of Star Wars, but... Sure, sure. Um, uh, really, it's it's second edition D&D, really, when you get down to it. Mm. Um, first off, Clone Commando. Keep at it, man. Just just don't don't become disheartened and keep, keep running good games. And your players will learn to trust you through the system. They will. I've seen it. Um, but as to your question... Phil, we got some good suggestions, I think, for him, uh, echo- echoing many put forth, actually by our own GM Hudson um, on the forums uh, and Gamer Nation Con Marshall. Um, uh, do you, do you want to weigh in on this as well, man, with some of these? Or Sure, sure. Um, one, of them, one of them that was given and is a great piece of advice is give your players challenges that a destiny point could fix. Uh, maybe a very dangerous encounter or challenge could be resolved with a simple piece of equipment or of, of prior purchase. Uh, toxic gases in the next room. Good thing I remember to buy those breath masks for us all. Uh, flip a destiny point and spend those credits. Word. Uh, you just said something that I think is really worth noting. What's that? Spend those credits. Yes. What differentiates the narrative use of a destiny point in this matter from the utility belt talent? Money. Money! Money, 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 money. Money, money, money. money. We actually had a question about this on the forums, and people are like, well... There's this and there's that. I'm like, dude, no one's mentioning money. It, yeah, you can flip a destiny point to say that you bought that, but you better have bought it. Spend the money now. Do you have it? Have the cash. Have the cash. Cash okay. is king. Cash is king. <laughs> so that's and that that really highlights what the uh, the utility belt is is had the advantage over just spend a destiny point get an item. You know. Yeah. The fact that if it fits in the belt, you have it. You have it. You just happen if to have it. Poass broke. You have it. You still have it. Um, don't have the belt. You have it. Right. You get the talent. Doesn't mean you need a piece of equipment to use it. That's correct. I'm locked in a jail cell. Good thing I hang on. Okay. I have a lockpick. <laughs> <laughs> um. Man, we're just really up in the poop jokes on this episode, aren't we? We are. We really are. Oh, kaboom kapow. Okay, so as you say, give your players a challenge that Destiny Points could fix that will encourage them to spend the Destiny Points. Exactly. In the same vein, uh, encourage changing the scene or the session with the Destiny Point. Remember, the Destiny Points can be used for more than buying gear after the fact. Right? Um, you're in the open, Phil. 
and blaster fire is 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 everywhere. Uh, is there a crate or pillar or something else I can use as cover? I don't know. Is there? Looks pointedly at the Destiny Point pool and smiles. <laughs> uh, enemy forcements, enemy reinforcements keep pouring in. If only you could shut that blast door from where you are. GM looks pointedly at the Destiny pool and smiles. <laughs> There's a computer terminal next to me. Da -da -da. Bottom line, your players are often going to ask for scene clarifications. But instead of just saying yes or no, which we've all gotten in the habit of doing through just years of role-playing, sure. ask for a destiny point. Mm -hmm. Are those barrels explosive? <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, your notes might say, no, no, they're filled with coolant. But you just need to pause and stare at the player and go, I don't know, are they? Exactly. That, that, that's, that's, that's destiny point spending gold right that's there. That's gold. Uh, does the droid have any active power cells yet? Uh, can I get a clear shot on the Imperial Commander from here, or is he obstructed? Destiny point. Destiny point. I mean, there's a chart that says what you can spend... Well, not a chart, but there is a paragraph or two on what you can spend Destiny points on in a narrative sense. But honestly, with the problem that you're having, Clone Commander, um, come, come up with situations like this that, that require them to spend... No, well, not require, but... Encourage. Encourage them to spend destiny points. Yeah. Um, and the trick is being able to not... As a GM, we've trained ourselves to always have the answer to the question, especially when it comes to the scene or the encounter. All right? You know, how far away are they? What's in this barrel? What's in this chest? What does this computer terminal do? Right? You have to get in the habit of being comfortable with... I don't know. What does it do? I don't know. What does it do? All right? Let them tell you. If it fits within what you've got defined, great, then it fits. If it wants to do more than what you've got defined, that is destiny point territory. Destiny point, yeah. Maybe, maybe even at a higher level. I mean, for the session. They're at a loss of what to do. They're looking for a contact on a world. Maybe, maybe, like, like do, do I, do I, I've had players ask me this. Do I, do I know anyone in this spaceport? Do I know anyone on this world? Any contacts I have? I don't know. Do you? Yeah. Looks at the destiny point pool. These are the most simple things that we can recommend to get light side points spent and get those dark points back into your pool. Um, uh, combat is the weakest way. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, upgrading checks is the weakest way to spend these points. Weak. And yet, in most cases, the most common. Yeah, because it's what we're used to. Yep. Um, and finally, our last piece of advice, when, when they spend points... Give them back. Yeah, this is really hard, especially because he's trying to get those points for himself. Yep. Um, don't hoard the destiny points. Give them back. If your players are using them, use them right back. <laughs> Teach your players that narr narratively that it is okay to spend the points, that it's just a flowing economy that they can feel safe using, and you're not going to save them to jack them up with these points later on. Yeah, if that's what your players are doing to you, don't do it to them. Right. Let let them let them feel completely comfortable and not even question the fact that if they spend this point, they're going to have it back within a round or two. Which leads to the point, which leads to the other secondary piece of advice that I I don't want to say I frequently forget, but I just sometimes don't realize it. Uh, remember to spend the points. <laughs> yeah. M many times, especially at Gamer Nation Con, I would look down and I would see, um, I have six of the seven Destiny points on my black side. I should start spending them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should. So. There you go. So, great question, Clone Commander 3113. 
Um, and I hope that, um, I don't know, man, I just, I just don't have that problem. Well, our, our player groups have learned, have learned. Yeah. Okay. But you know, not every group is there yet, but they can get there. Just stick with it. Stick with it. Follow these suggestions. It'll work. I can't spend them fast enough. (laughs) Uh, next question. Poster 2080 comes at us with an engaging question. Boom. Hey everyone, I had an encounter yesterday with a in which a melee wielding in, uh, PC fought a nemesis with a sidewinder rotary cannon. God, because gunnery weapons can be used in engaged range, the PC decided to go to engaged range, attack, and unfortunately miss. After this, the nemesis took a maneuver to go to short range and blasted the PC from unwounded to just a fraction of his health. Yeah. The PC told me fighting with a melee weapon is horrible because you leave yourself open if the enemy disengages and then shoots you. Does anyone have a suggestion how to solve the problem? Oh, boo, freaking who? <sighs> Sorry, I'm channeling Dave. It's okay. all good. Look, 2080, this is not really a problem. <laughs> no. I imagine your player feels that way, honestly, because he wanted to do something, he failed, and he reaped the consequences. He engaged a guy wielding a sidewinder, all right? If you don't drop that guy in one hit, you're probably toast, all right? Right. But this is all assuming no tactics, no special abilities or talents. Look, ranged weapons are, by and large, far superior to melee weapons. This is why the Rebellion and the Empire train their troops with blasters instead of vibroswords. Right. Okay? And why lightsabers are so freaking scary. <laughs> Because, oh, yeah, here's the, re- here's the melee weapon that is superior, innately, okay? Right. So why play a melee-focused character at all, then, to his question? Uh, well, several reasons, actually. Several reasons. What are they? Uh, for one, it's cheaper. It's a hell of a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, not just in raw weapon costs, but you never run out of ammo. No. And then XP to to and then the XP is to get it is good, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, rarity and restriction is another one. Uh, an Imperial Customs officer will chuckle at your vibro axe. How quaint! Uh, but if you roll up on an Imperial Customs station with a heavy rifle, you will get your ass thrown in jail without if you don't have the right papers for it. Yeah. Uh, it's an issue of law in a galaxy far, far away, but also of perception. To quote from our foreign member, the Lonely Sand Person, they're not quite considered serious weapons compared to blasters. Lando can walk around with his sword on his hip, and it, it communicates, I'm refined, where Han Solo's heavy blaster pistol says, I'm dangerous. Yeah. And the reality is, if you're really trained, as we'll come to, you can be damn dangerous with a melee weapon, especially for using proper tactics, but it's not perceived that way. Right. Uh, and that gets us to spending XP, and that means... Before you get there, though, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to ad lib a bit on that rarity and restriction thing. Okay, mm. the, the perception, fancy dinner party we talked about earlier, ain't no way in hell security's gonna let you walk in there with a blaster on your hip. Nope, no way. If you walk in there with a sword on your hip or a vibro rapier, they're probably not gonna have that big of an issue with it. It's part of your attire. It's part of your attire. It's ceremonial regalia. Okay. <laughs> It is the weapon of my people. It is the weapon of my people. Allow me to sing you the song of my people. <laughs> I, I don't care who your people are, but no, we're not bringing that rocket launcher in here. <laughs> well, he's a Mandalorian. Uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, it's cheaper, it's less rare, less restricted, and three, 
XP talents. Talk to me. Mm-hmm. It is far easier to become a deadly and defensive um, melee combatant rather than a ranged one. And uh, defense is something your player, it sounds like, didn't think about. Yeah. Uh, the knockdown talent, or even weapon quality, makes your ranged weapon-wielding targets meet, forcing them to spend strain to get up, then disengage, then shoot without any aiming. Yeah. Um, talents like sidestep or other defensive gems are essential for any melee combatant to keep them alive when out in the open, so to speak. Additionally, talents like feral strength and frenzy attack have absolutely no corollary in ranged combat. Nope. When ranked up can make a high brawn vibro axe wielder outpace, out damage, and out just about everything from a melee, from a heavy ranged weapon in just a few sessions. Really, you can. I mean, you can you can take a, a forty earned XP. 60 earned XP Marauder, and he can punk, just punk a heavy weapon wielder in terms of raw damage. Yeah. I mean, if, if he gets the right talents. It's not it's not even a contest. Right. Also, melee weapons typically crit much harder much e- and, and much easier as well. This is true. You, you get a lot more melee weapons out there with, like, vicious than you do ranged attacks. A ton more. Uh, and that, that rotary cannon ain't going to do nothing for someone if you just crippled one of their arms. Pretty much. Now, look, despite all this, we're directing, obviously, all this at his player. Right. It's not all on the player. Listen, man, you as a GM have a responsibility, too. Yeah. A gunnery weapon in a personal scale encounter should be the exception, not the rule from your threats. Right. All right. When a sidewinder or, <laughs> or an e-web comes out into personal scale combat, everyone is supposed to crap their pants. Every PC is supposed to target that guy now because he can pace someone with a single shot. So keep that in mind, 2080. These kinds of situations shouldn't be that common in your combat. And if they are, you're using too much heavy weaponry for your enemies. My personal rule is that unless it's the set piece of the encounter, no mook should have anything better than a carbine. Right. And even then, that's like a bit much. I give them to stormtrooper mooks because they have them, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and even then I'll, I'll adjust accordingly when, when in prior episodes, we've talked about creating enemies. If, if, and one of the things we talked about was balancing their abilities with their weaponry. Remember if I've got a group of stormtroopers, uh, uh, minions and they have carbines, I will typically have them have a more shallow dice pool than, um, a similar group of mooks wielding heavy blast, wielding regular blaster pistols. Yeah. Groups of two and three rather than groups of three and four and five. Precisely. So, there you go. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing. If you throw, I mean, maybe you give a light repeater to a rival, okay? Sure. Um, but if you throw a sidewinder or an e-web or other heavy crap in there, it should be the crux of the encounter. It should be the thing that needs to be defeated quickly. And at that point, the melee monster PC shouldn't feel bad about getting creamed any more than the Sith BBEG who sliced him up creamed him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, you feel me? Fortunately, he did say that he put it in the hands of a nemesis. Yeah, and, and that's... that just w- makes it all the more that's likely wh- that he had a sick dice pool to begin yeah, with. Yeah, that, that's where it belongs. But quite frankly, your nemesis PC with a lightsaber is going to do just as much damage to that melee meat wall engage with him as a sidewinder. Okay. Right. So, there there is that. And, Kurt, I, I don't have the stat block in front of me. Is sidewinder slow firing? No, it's not. Ooh. It just, it just rips up. Maybe you don't give sidewinders to your NPCs anymore. <laughs> um, 
One thing I liked uh, that I thought of um, when I was doing my Fallout mod was that if, if miniguns have they have, they have they have this really neat but underutilized weapon quality called prepare. Yeah. Give the sidewinder prepare. Give anything with a rotary rotary barrels prepare. Yeah. Force them to have to spend a maneuver to get the weapon like the barrels to spin up. Yeah. And I mean, and if you get stuff like an e-web, it gets even tougher. It's not even the prepare quality. It's like unique in the description of the e-web. It takes three actions to get it set up. Right. Not necessarily one PC's actions. No. But three actions. So you got a whole party throwing their actions at it to get it set up, right? Which is typically exactly. why e-webs have a team of gunners that operate them. Indeed they do. Um, so, there. So, I hope that helps. Uh, lastly, tonight we have a barrel of a question that comes from and has been weighed in on by the Lonely Sand Person, Darth Pseudonym, Donovan Morningfire, and the Mole. Uh, it is a question that revolves around the use of the bind force power, which can be found on page 286 of the Force and Destiny core rulebook, and specifically its mastery upgrade and how the damn thing works. Uh, the Mole puts it more, most succinctly, by example, uh, when he says, all right, this is where the confusion is for me. Is being, and then being generated. So let me tell you the example that happened at the table. The GM and I both de- decided on outcome number two at the table, and we're interested in looking it up afterwards. Arlo wants to use his bind force power against George the Stormtrooper. I decide to use my bind mastery power, which makes the check a discipline versus discipline check. The dice result in four light side pips, two advantage, and failure. <laughs> what happens next? Outcome number one. Arlo pops the basic bind power, strength upgrades, and control upgrade. George the Stormtrooper is now immobilized for one turn, disoriented for three rounds, suffers strain when he attempts to take an action. Unfortunately, because he failed the roll, he is unable to activate the mastery upgrade, and the Stormtrooper is not staggered, as the check was part of the mastery power. Outcome number two. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Now, if this were against a BBEG and the bind power was going to be opposed on GM discretion and it was failed, I wholeheartedly believe the outcome should be number two. Mm-hmm. So which is it, gentlemen? Wow. Um, so this question generated, I don't know if you were following it, Phil, it generated a heated discussion on the forums. Um, but let's first review the bind mastery upgrade. Simply put, it lets you jack up a target of bind even more. Right. I mean, hell, the basic power lets you immobilize your target and give them wounds that ignore soak if you're spending dark pips, right? Mm-hmm. But the mastery upgrade says, yo, this is now an opposed check if it wasn't already one before. Right. And if you succeed on that opposed check, you can stagger your target if you're a light sure. side pip user or crit your target if you're a dark pip user. Right. And this is on top of the normal effects of bind. It's kind of okay. nice. Okay. So where do things things sit if our force user Arlo pops George the Stormtrooper with Bindmaster but fails the discipline check? This is a tough answer, and it is entirely this is entirely my opinion, okay, and interpretation, fair warning. Sure. It is also superseded by the fact that your GM made a call, and that is always what you go with. Right. But if the GM is willing to research it after the fact, as it sounds like this is the case, and wants a different opinion, here's mine. Okay. This is a conflict, Phil, between two primary gaming principles, both of which have acronyms. Sure. DBAD and KISS. Don't be a dick and keep it simple, stupid. Precisely. Let me explain. Explain. 
First of all, bind should already be with an opposed discipline check if you're targeting a nemesis and possibly, probably a rival, okay? Should. And bind mastery aside, if you failed that discipline check for basic bind, the power fails. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. So if you use mastery and you failed the discipline check against such a foe, the nemesis or the boss rival, then no, nothing would activate. The same way nothing would activate if you failed the check without using mastery. Mm-hmm. Which means that this question and the mole's example really only matters for mooks, okay? Minions and low-power rivals, the GM didn't see fit to saddle you with an opposed discipline check on in the first place. Sure. So if you fail that check, do you still get the benefit of the basic bind power, not just the, ma- just not the mastery version? There's two schools of thought. All right, let's start with kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. School one is kiss. No, you don't get the effect. You chose to upgrade this to be a full-on discipline battle, bub, and you were craptastic enough to be a force-rating 2PC who should, by all rights, have a super badass discipline, yet failed that discipline check against a minion or a weak rival. For shame. (laughs) (laughs) But, hey, shit happens, and the dice roll bad sometimes. But you, you don't get to weave back and take a lesser version of the power that didn't require a discipline check because that's super complicated, needlessly so, and we want Kiss. Keep right. it simple, stupid. That, However, that is school of thought number one. What about number two? Number two, DBAD. Yeah, you should get the benefit out of the basic power. Why? Because the basic power would have triggered on the MOOC, regardless, and you spent a minimum of 215 XP to get bind mastery. That's 135 XP through Sage, the fastest slash cheapest way to get force rating to, and another 80 XP on bind just to get to bind mastery. Okay. Yep. Your GM shouldn't beat you up with the rules and deny you something that basic because you spent a crap ton of character resources on. That's kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. So which of these two paths do I recommend? I say... It is up to the GM. You have to decide whether you want KISS or DBAD. Both are very strong cases and highly important to this game. One, the one the Moles GM followed, KISS, kept the game flowing fast and moving. The other is more the benefit of the player and gives the player the benefit of the doubt. I will tell you that in the heat of the moment in game, I would have followed KISS. Because I detest book diving at the table. I want to get the game... Okay, I made the call. I kept it simple. Let's move on. Now, after this discussion, where I've really given it a ton of thought, and I don't need to book dive from here on out about it, uh, if this came up my, at my table, mm-hmm. I would give the player their due, and I would follow DBAD, letting the basic power take effect, um, because I believe in always erring on the side of the player, right? Now that I have this knowledge. The point is that both decisions are correct in the right time and the right moment. Exactly. And that's my take on it, Phil. Um, I, I honestly think I would have run the same way you did. I would have done, keep it simple, kept the game moving, had the, had the whole thing fail. Um, but you know what, upon further reflection, you're right. That's, that's 215 XP just to get that. And that's assuming that they did nothing but go to get bind mastery. Yeah. It's like, I went straight to force rating two and then took nothing but bind. I mean, that's, that's it. It's my thing. Um, I, I do love that this system is fail, but you still get good stuff. And in this situation where they're trying to use the, the bind mastery, I don't want it to be just more than, oh, you spend two advantage to give them a setback die, you know? 
I I now all this still applies to the MOOC. If this was against a a a a nemesis yeah. or a rival, where I'd be making the discipline check anyway, hell no, right. hell no. Option two, you you get yeah. nothing. Sorry, you you lose. Yeah, this yeah. is against your average rival or a, or a MOOC level or a minion level MOOC. Um, I'd still have to do something be, just simply because that you are still using massive force powers against those who have really have no defense against it. Yeah, I, I'm that, that's kind of that's kind of where where I yeah, that's kind of where I sit. Now, why nope. would you ever want to use mastery against a mook? Um, if you're a dark sider, it's because of crit because crits oh, yes. crits kill minions. They do, they do. So that's that's why. So anyway, um, there that's the way in. So there you go. Both answers are right. <laughs> the 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 instant if, if if this has never happened in my game, but if, if this were to have happened in one of my games, the instant a player started to open it up and read the talent and suggested I do the same or read the force power, I would have been like, no. <laughs> it misses, move on, because it's the simplest thing right now. Let's move on. Let's keep let's keep the story going. Right? Nope, nope, nope. Nope, 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 nope. But uh, you know, like I said, with the knowledge we have we have now, um, if this came up with the knowledge I have, I would I would rule in favor of the player. Yeah. So, so there. Good questions, though. Very good discussion, too. Very good question. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. If you guys have questions for Messages from the Edge, you can, of course, send them to us. Um, uh, you can, of course, head to the d20radio.com uh, slash forum site. Uh, you can uh, register and post up those questions in the dedicated Messages from the Edge thread. You can also leave us some voicemail questions, like Phil said earlier, uh, 262D20Radio, or you can email us these questions at GMChris, GMDave, or GMPhil at D20Radio.com. And there we go. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to the close of another exciting episode of the Order 66 podcast. Um, <laughs> it feels weird, man. It's been a long time since I've been on the show. Right. Uh, two episodes. <laughs> now, well, technically three, because we're trying to squeeze this in sometime before... Cameron Nation Con, but that just wasn't happening. Just wasn't happening. Whatever, we're, we're like a week off. Um, and yeah, it's just, ooh, it's wild and crazy. But um, I know you got to, you, you're, it's late where you are and you're busy. Do you have any time for post at all? I sadly do not. Um, I gotta get up, I gotta get into work a little earlier tomorrow, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of at my end. Dude, well, I, I understand that wholeheartedly. It's okay. Absolutely okay. So our next planned episode is on the 24th of April, Sunday. It is, it is. And we tentatively have that booked. We're still waiting on it. We had to change some dates up. We're still waiting on a final confirmation from our special guest, if I'm not mistaken. We are, we are, which means we are going to be posting a thread to both our forums and the FFG forums tomorrow, taking on questions for special modifications. OMG. And that special guest, of course, would be uh, lead developer Mr. Max Brook returning to the show if he's able to make it um, yeah. to really dig into that book and the questions that you guys have for it. I am more excited about this book than any other that's been released in probably probably since the Force and Destiny core book. With good reason. Yeah. With good reason. Um, it's the one component the game really has been missing, and that's the crafting mechanic. Yeah, and they're absolutely brilliant, and we're going to talk all about it. Yep. So, um... Typically, by the time you're hearing this, because <laughs> the threads are going to go up tomorrow, as Phil said, you'll be able to head to d20radio.com slash forums and the Order 66 boards, or head to the Edge of the Empire boards on FFG's forums. You'll find a thread where you can actually put in your questions for the book. If you have questions about the book itself for the devs, we are going to answer them, with a the goal of doing so in two weeks' time. That's the plan. But that's it, guys. So become a member of the Gamer Nation, folks. Again, visit us on the forums, register, post your mind, head over to d20radio.com and check out amazing, amazing content. And give us a call. 
262-320-7234. Leave us a line or tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. We would love to hear it. Indeed. Ah, well, Gamer Nation, thank you all. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. (laughs) 